Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Brought to you by Cooperage Brewing in Santa Rosa. Get your beer at cooperagebrewing.com. They ship overnight to anywhere in California. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman of the Sacramento Bee, and we have a 49ers blowout win to talk about. 37 to 15. Over 37 to 15? 37? Yeah, whatever it was. 37 to 15, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, 37 to 15. I don't know why I started second-guessing myself. Um, yeah, let's talk about it. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory! Kittle is gonna go! Touchdown! Bosa's well, got him in a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. I can remember the score of a game, especially when I have the box score sitting right in front of me. It's funny because, like, when some sometimes when you write about games and you do game coverage, you just kind of assume like people know the score, and, and then you go back and like look before you submit it, and you're like, "Oh, I didn't put the score of the game in there. I, <laughs> I probably should put that somewhere within the first couple graphs." So, I yeah, I've been I've been in that position before. What what threw me off there was I said thirty seven to fifteen. And legitimately, I went, it feels like a lot of points. 15's a lot. Because the, <laughs> it's, the, the Niners have it. That's the second most points the Niners have allowed all year. And so I just, I super second guessed myself when I said 15. But 37 to 15 was correct. I looked down at the box score in front of me. Three um, field goals and a touchdown with no, no PAT afterwards. Three field goals? That, okay. Let's start here. Having nothing to do with this game. <laughs> which is a good way to start a game recap. The 49ers have their defense has now allowed five touchdowns. Only one of them has resulted in seven points, which is insane. The bears scored That's a, a touchdown. Super weird stat. The bears scored the first touchdown of the bears game and made the extra point. Then Cairo Santos missed the next two extra points, just missed them. And then the Broncos failed their two point conversion. And then the Panthers today failed their two-point conversion. Huh. Five touchdowns, one's resulted in seven. Wow, interesting. Super weird. Has just nothing very, to do with anything. Just very random. <laughs> right. Extremely so, random. So I, I, I think, well, let's let's start with the Panthers' touchdown. Um, 51 yards they had to go because of a special teams breakdown. And I feel like that's just, like, of course. Like that's that's what teams kind of need at this point to uh, to score touchdowns against this Niners defense. It's just a dominant win, thirty-seven to fifteen. It wasn't even that close. Like they they needed to go kick the shit out of the Panthers, and they did. Yeah, they did. They got on track, particularly offensively. Um, I, I think my big takeaway 
was, you know, we talk a lot about the offense, right? Because we pretty much know what we're getting from the defense. And there are some injuries they have to deal with. And we'll talk about that, obviously. But, you know, the big talking point, at least from my end, going into this game was like, all right, what happens when you need a counterpunch when defenses try to take away Debo Samuel, right? Mm -hmm. And in this game, the 49ers were actually more balanced offensively in terms of the way they were distributing the ball to different ball carriers and pass catchers than previously. Like it wasn't a Debo centric game plan where they didn't really have any other alternatives aside from force feeding Debo in this game, three catches, 58 yards for Brandon. Ayuk, five catches for George Kittle, right? Dewan Jennings had a couple Tevin Coleman. Like (laughs) it's funny. I texted you today. I, your your Jordan Mason take from last week was actually a good one. It was just a week late, and instead and the of wrong it, being, yeah, instead <laughs> of it being Jordan Mason, it was Devin Coleman. I wish all my takes worked like that. Like, dude, great take. It was just the wrong day and the wrong guy. But other than that, spot on. Yeah, no, you're you're right on the money, except for those two minor factors. But um, I'm marking that. That's a win for me. Yeah, congratulations. Thank uh, you. Um. But no, like it, it goes to show that I think this offense is evolving a little bit in the form of Jimmy Garoppolo getting a little bit more comfortable, right? Yeah. Like Jimmy Garoppolo was a lot better today. I even thought he was better today than, than the Rams game. And, and a lot of that too is just, you know, maybe some game plan specific stuff. Like you don't have Aaron Donald completely wrecking things for your offensive line. So it's a little bit different, but in terms of just stre- being able to spread the ball around and to develop counter punches when teams are clearly trying to take away Debo Samuel is going to be really important for this team, given that they're more limited than other contenders are when it comes to quarterback play, right? So I, I think to be able to hit George Kittle in the middle of the field, to be able to get very random and much needed production from Tevin Coleman is good to get Brandon Ayuk going a little bit is good. Um, but ultimately to me, like, you know, the, the fumble was obviously really problematic, but I, that proved to be more random than like, than you know, Jimmy Garoppolo throwing super interceptable passes, right? Because coming into this game, it was, you know, when the 49ers turned the ball over, they lost. And when they didn't, they won, they were two and oh, when they didn't turn the ball over, um, and obviously I went to when they did, they turned it over today, but they were still able to win in part because they got a pick six, but seven of 12 on third down, like anything around 50% is good. Over 50% is great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, four for four in the red zone. Like these are the key numbers for the 49ers, particularly given the way the offense had been playing, particularly on the road. Um, and it was just pretty encouraging from that standpoint like obviously special teams was a massive problem and would have been against a better team Um, the defense was really good again but the offense not becoming or evolving away from being super reliant on Debo Samuel as really your only playmaker and getting more production from other guys I think is a an important step for this offense to take early in the season because ultimately when they're trying when, when they're making a playoff run in December and January, they need to have as many options schematically um, that they can, because they're not going to do it alone with talent at quarterback, right? Like right. they need to get everybody going. And I think today was a step in that direction. They had four guys go over 40 receiving yards. It was Ayuk with 58, Kittle with 47, Jennings with 45 and Tevin Coleman with 44. Sure. Um, 
that was like, did, since... did we know tevin coleman was on the roster or would play in this game even coming so into i it? had okay so so two things on that one sixth game since 2019 where the 49ers have had four guys go over 40 receiving yards in a game um last year the 31 17 loss to arizona was the most recent time it happened but then they did it in the blowout win over the giants in uh 2020 in week three they did it in that saints game um they did it in the comeback home win against arizona in 2019 and then they did it at cincinnati in 2019 as well so not something that happens super often but i think you make a great point like that's the peak version of the 49ers offense is that it's where it's not necessarily Jimmy Garoppolo hitting some level of play. It's yeah. Hey, Jimmy Garoppolo is his baseline consistency and not targeting Debo Samuel 12 times. And he has nine catches for 120 yards and everyone else combined has six catches for a hundred yards. Doesn't it feel like Jimmy Garoppolo's most risky throws are when he's trying to force it to Debo? Yes. A thousand percent. And he, he even had a couple of those today, right? Yes. They didn't, they yeah, ultimately the six- didn't come back to bite him. But when, he has confidence in other guys and doesn't have to force feed Debo. It feels like not only are you being more efficient offensively, but you're being less risky. Yeah. And they're throwing more on first down now. I don't know if it's more than typical of in, in previous seasons. I haven't, I didn't dive that deep into the numbers, but in the second half against the Broncos, when their offense really stalled out, they just, it was first down run, first down run, first down run. And they got super predictable. Well, now you have Jimmy Garoppolo, throwing passes on first down and completing to Brandon Ayuk for 28 yards. And now defenses have to sit on that too. And now you're starting to see Jeff Wilson Jr. Five yards on first down, eight yards on first down. Well, now they're getting into second and short and third and short. And that Garoppolo's better and every offense is going to be better in that situation. That's not a Jimmy Garoppolo thing. Every offense is better when you're in second or third and short. And I think we've seen that bear itself out over the last couple of games. Um, in regards to Tevin Coleman specifically, I was aware he was on the roster. I did know he he was. I also had an inkling that he would play a little bit because so he he was the only other running back last week to get a snap. He played one snap. And this week, Marlon Mack was a healthy scratch, which led me to believe the Niners were going to rely on Tevin Coleman in some way. Um, And they 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 did and he was good yeah, yeah. I think that's the perfect that's a perfect role for him yeah I, I i think one thing that they've missed in the last few weeks because of the injuries to all their backs is like they ideally would love to have multiple backs they can rely on mm-hmm. instead of just having one in jeff wilson right like they the you know they they have different plays for different skill sets and mm-hmm. you can open up the playbook a little bit more when you have a running back with a different skill set like Coleman does relative to Wilson. Right. Um, and Coleman is a guy like it was really interesting listening to the the comments, both from Coleman and, and Jimmy Garoppolo postgame talking about like, yeah, there was a play in practice during the week where um, Coleman was lined up against a uh, I think he, it was a linebacker or something in practice and Garoppolo didn't throw it to him. And then he told him, he was like, no, we're going to hit that during the game. And then there was that third down in the first half where um, even a DB was lined up against Coleman. And typically the rules of the offense are like, you don't make that throw if a DB is lined up on the running back. But Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo was zero blitzed. And then he just made the throw anyway. And it was a product of just the trust that they have. 
mm-hmm. which is really interesting given that Coleman has hardly played at all this season for the Niners. Yeah. And it obviously goes back to, you know, 2019, 2018. Did, did they sign him in 2018? Uh, 2019. Yeah, it goes yeah. back to 2019 when like Coleman had some really nice games for the 49ers. And obviously he's notably up there against the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, he had, he, we talked about it leading in to last week. Like he had his biggest game with the 49ers against Carolina at Levi's mm-hmm. Stadium. Yeah. Um, so it was it was definitely a wrinkle, but I think it was it was a much needed element to the offense because things had gotten a little bit stale in terms of the way they were distributing the ball around. And and I think as mm-hmm. time goes on, if they can keep their guys healthy and Jimmy Garoppolo continues to get a little bit more comfortable, then you're going to see that. And that's ultimately going to be a strength yeah. because when the 49ers offense, to your point earlier, like when it was at its best in like 2019, it was like the first half Jimmy Garoppolo would complete passes like eight different guys right? of games, you know, and now, and it felt like recently, like the second half of last season and even, even early on this year, it's like, well, if they can't get Debo going, like they're going to struggle because you know, that that's really their bread and butter and they need, they need a counter punch. And I think today they, they took strides towards developing that. Yeah. In the first half, Garoppolo completed passes to five different guys um, through to six different Debo five targets and no catches in the first half. Tough. Yeah. Um, JC JC Horn's good. Yeah. JC Horn's a very good player. Yeah. And but Kittle five for 47 in the first half. Coleman three for 44 with the touchdown. Ayuk one for 24. Um, Garoppolo good in both halves. And just to that point, like we made the joke earlier about me being wrong on on Jordan Mason, but actually right just about Tevin Coleman later. They needed they needed something different at running back. They needed a different element out of the backfield. And Tevin Coleman is a player that Kyle Shanahan trusts. He's been around since 2016. Um, even when Coleman wasn't with the 49ers, he was with Mike LaFleur in New York in a very similar offense. Right. And I think it's really telling about just him as a player that he, despite not being on a roster for the first three weeks, came in ready and by his second week with the team was stepping in and making an impact. I think that's just a, it's a very good sign for the 49ers offense that even with all their injuries, um, even with their third string left tackle and Daniel Brunskill taking snaps at right guard and left guard because Spencer Burford and Aaron Banks were struggling a little bit that they're still figuring out ways to generate offense. Like that was something we talked about when Elijah Mitchell went down. It's like, man, and then Ty Davis price goes down. It's like, who, where are they going to get, where are they going to get their rushing offense from? Because Jeff Wilson jr. Early on looked like he had no juice. Like Jeff Wilson jr. Just looked out of gas and he's looked a lot better the last couple of weeks. He's gotten his legs under him. And now you throw in Tevin Coleman and it's like, Oh, this is the 49ers offense. That was very, very good in 19. Yeah. Is- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so I, I do think Jeff Wilson looks a lot faster than he did early in the season. Yes. And I thought the the 41-yard touchdown or 41-yard run today that set up the touchdown looked a lot like the touchdown run against the Rams. One thing that stood out to me, do you remember when we talk about the runs in 2019 where like every single big 49ers run felt like it had a really good George Kittle block and a really yes. good Kyle Juszczyk block? Yep. That that was back. That yep. That was back particularly with um the 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 run today and even the screen was blocked really well yeah so Jake Rendell getting up front 
Yeah. So you're starting to see that too. Like the blocking just be a little bit better. And when the blocking is just a little bit better, given how well so many of these runs are designed, if the blocking is just a hair better, you like, you're going to get some of these to pop more often. And that's the one thing with Kyle Shanahan's offense is it's like, it's kind of hard to explain because people think it's like traditionally the running game is like ground and pound, like, you know, Mm -hmm. control tempo and stuff like that. But Kyle Shanahan, a lot of his runs are big swings. Like he's trying to score on running plays Yep. because he loves a certain look. And he's like, if we can get these blocks and create this lane and the running back sees it and hits it with the, with the right timing, like that's a big play. Mm -hmm. Like he looks at some of those runs the same way that, you know, a lot of people look at deep passes. It's like, it's, it's a shot, it's a shot play, Mm -hmm. but it's just unique because it's a running play. And so when the 49ers can get significant chunks of yardage with those runs, it sets up everything else they want to do. Um, and they're going to be better off because of it, because play action is so important to this offense. Mm-hmm. And when teams are bottling up the run, the play action becomes less effective and they just really need that. So, yeah. It, and, and I think your point's totally correct on like them needing multiple running backs too, because like when the running backs run different plays, you also can run different plays off of those plays, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can run variations of play action that you couldn't run with a certain running back because you're not running the same play that the run is based off of. If it like, you know what I mean? Like if you could, if you run outside pitches to one guy and inside runs another guy, then you have a whole bunch of plays off of the pitches or off the inside runs that are unique to those particular players. Right. Right. So I, I think ultimately like, the more versatile the Niners offense can be, the better off they're going to be. And that can be a strength of theirs because when it's like you're just counting on Jimmy Garoppolo to find Debo Samuel somewhere, you're asking for problems, right? And mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be a lot of problems, <laughs> 19 of them specifically. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be, you're going to be harder to defend and harder to prepare for. Yeah. So I think I think that's a that's a really promising sign for the 49ers. And like if they don't turn the ball over and they had the one today, but typically if they don't like if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't throwing interceptions, I against most teams, I like the 49ers chances. So I thought last week and I want to talk about the defense a little bit, but but let's stick on the offense for now. I thought last week I, I left that game going if they get that Jimmy Garoppolo game, they're going to win their share of games. Like they will, they will win enough. They will make the playoffs if Jimmy Garoppolo plays like that. I thought he was good enough Sunday. It's like, man, if he plays like that in a postseason game, like they could, they that version of Jimmy Garoppolo they got today is a quarterback that they could make a run with, and a run where they they score an offensive touchdown in Green Bay, or <laughs> high bar, where, where where it's not, but I mean. Where where you leave that game going, man, Jimmy was good. I, I don't think we've seen that in a playoff game yet. Where you walk away going, Wow, Jimmy Garoppolo was very, very good in that game. So his that, handoffs that, in the in the twenty nineteen NFC title game were pretty elite. Really well timed, you're right. So the mesh points were <laughs> well orchestrated. No, so I just if if he plays like he did today, I thought he was better against pressure. There were two or three plays where he completed passes on plays that I thought were going to go for sacks. The, no, most notably, the the Coleman throw. It, it's so rare that we see Garoppolo with pressure in his face 
go, hey, I'm trusting my guy. There's one-on-one coverage on the outside. I'm going to put it up. He might fire one over the middle. We've seen that before with pressure in his face. But there was somebody there, and he saw the coverage and let his guy go make a play. Yeah, and there, and were a couple, there were a couple times that, that that happened on Sunday where it's like, oh, sack. Oh, no, first down. And if you're going to turn three negative plays a game into first downs, that is that is massive. That is a massive, massive swing. The other thing I thought with those throws is they were actually good throws. Like they were in places where only his guys could really yeah. make plays on it, which the is super rare, right? Nice. Yeah. Like it, it's it's rare. It feels like that's been rare for Jimmy Garoppolo because he misses so many of those throws where you're like when he just kind of hucks it and doesn't have his feet underneath him and is just like getting it out to get it out. Nine times out of 10 recently, it's felt like, oh, there's no way that's going to be where it needs to be. But today Mm -hmm. it was. And Mm -hmm. if he's going to be more accurate than that, that makes that that's like as dramatic a game changer for the 49ers as as there could be from when it comes to like quarterback play. Like if Jimmy Garoppolo is suddenly going to start being accurate on deep throws, like that's a that's a substantial shift because really how you defend the 49ers is pack the middle of the field because that's really where Jimmy Garoppolo is his most effective. And that's why I throw so many interceptions because the middle of the field is packed. Right. If you thin out the defense by being able to stretch it vertically, not only does it open up the middle of the field for the passing game, it also makes it easier to run the ball. And then the 49ers can really just start dictating to defenses in a way they haven't when Jimmy Garoppolo can't complete those passes downfield. Yeah. And there's, there's also the element of throwing and succeeding under pressure because not, there's no quarterback in the league who's like elite under pressure. Like that, it's just harder to play the, the position when that happens. And it's, it's especially hard when you're not Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or pick your favorite mobile quarterback. But if Garoppolo can go from, I'm going to use PFF colors. <laughs> Your favorite. Right now, he is dark red under pressure for his career. If he can get to like dark orange instead, like that's a step up. Because, like I said, that's a couple plays a game that go from sack slash interception to first down. There's it's always been with Garoppolo. It's always, always been he needs to be a couple plays better. There's three plays in a game that turn his game from really good to disaster. And if he can flip those three plays, he's going to be good enough for what the 49ers need. Because we saw the, the blueprint was laid out against, against the Rams. And that Rams game showed us, Hey, they still have that game in them. They still have that dominant defensive effort with just enough offense. Well, today was a dominant defensive offer, dominant defensive effort with it margin for error. Their defense just needed to be good today. And they were very good. And it turns into a blowout instead of, man, good thing their defense was great or they were going to lose today. That was just never on the table. They were that good offensively. Yeah. Yeah, I think you said it. I don't have much to add on the offense. Um, should we talk about the defense or the injuries? Uh, let's talk about the injuries because I don't think you can. I mean, the defense was great. 
And I thought Emmanuel Mosley's pick six flipped the game. Yeah. Fred Warner's so good at football, man. Very good at football. Great pick by me in pick in uh in in Cooper's six back. He does not make mistakes. Like he's generally in the right spot, like every single play. The the tackle for loss he had before the Panthers missed the field goal was a like just a just a great play, like just the speed to get back there. But also shout out to Akeem Spence, who just whooped the center's ass and Fred Warner zero hesitation blows up the play in the backfield. And just yeah, he's he's incredible. He's a really, really good player. I think Fred Warner, because like so the thing that made one of the things that made Richard Sherman as good as he was was all the preparation, having a photographic memory, and he could basically see a wide receiver splits and like where basically where receivers lined up and what the formation was and down and distance and all that. And would be like, all right, these are the routes that they're running based right. on preparation and just having that ridiculous recall. He did right. it against the Panthers. He had an interception against the Panthers. Sherman did where he just walked to the spot the receiver was going to go to and right. the quarterback threw it to him. Right. That's kind of where Fred Warner's at, but it's at middle linebacker. And when you have that type of advantage, a mental advantage going into each play when you are so good at studying and so good at knowing tendencies to where you can basically tell your teammates like what's coming before it comes. It's a huge advantage. And I think it's a really underrated part into why the 49ers defense is as good as it is Mm -hmm. because he's the guy getting everybody lined up. Like he's not going to get outsmarted. And to me, like, that that's always a reason why I, you know, I don't want to get into a Trey Lance thing, but like we we talk about the 49ers defense kicking the offense's ass. Like Fred Warner's gone against Kyle Shanahan's offense his entire career. Like right. it would be in training camp. It would be stunning, frankly, if the 49ers offense ever really got over on Fred Warner because of how <laughs> well he knows that offense. Right. Right? Fred, like, Warner, Fred Warner's never leaving the 49ers building because he would definitely beat the 49ers. Right. Like, him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like Fred and, Warner gets like five picks every training camp because he knows all this stuff. And it's like, oh, Trey Lance, his completion rate wasn't good. It's like, well, okay. <laughs> and, and and to that point, that's why the Sean McVeigh's and the Matt LaFleur's and the Zach Taylor's don't put up a ton of points on the 49ers. Yeah. Because they're running versions of the 49ers offense. Yeah. Yeah. So Fred Fred Warner is just an excellent football player. Um, he's, re- he's he's really good. Charvarius Ward with four pass breakups today and one in the end zone. Also really good. Just don't throw on him. And it's not, they're not, <laughs> what, what's incredible is you'll see a guy get a pass breakup where like he's trailing and has to, the throws a little bit behind the receiver and he dives and gets a piece. And it's like, man, he's lucky that wasn't a better throw. Like, no, he's just breaking up like perfect throws because yeah. he's in great coverage. Even the play he got beat on, I think it was Robbie Anderson down the right oh, sideline in the second half. There was a little bit of a push off, but it wasn't like bad coverage. No, it was it was a good savvy throw. Vet, savvy vet push off by Robbie Anderson. Yeah, it was a good throw. There was a good push off and like 
you know, whatever. Like it's going to happen. Nobody's going to compi- co- like pitch complete shutouts like all right. the time. Yeah. But and that's a, Ro- Robbie Anderson's been doing that for years. He's he's very very good at playing wide receiver in the NFL. But just like so, you think about you know four pass breakups that could have been big plays or first downs or touchdowns. Mm-hmm. If that's you know if 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 he's committing PIs at the same rate that the guys were last year, that the corners they had last year were doing, like those are game changing plays. Yeah. Like the difference between an incompletion and second and 10 versus a touchdown or a 25 yard gain. And like those types of plays are the plays that swing games. And so, you know, Charvarius Ward, I think, you know, all the talk coming into the year was the Niners were like, he's an ascending player. He's going to be even better than he was in Kansas city, they think, and, um, you know, his completion rate for the last like three years is like 40% or something in coverage, which is like best in the league. I don't know the exact number, but do you, do you know it off the top of your head? No. Okay. It's probably blue and on PFS grades, I would guess. But, um, the point being is like the addition of Charvarius Ward is really paying dividends. And if he's going to play at this level, like his contract is going to look like a bargain. Because mm-hmm. there are corners who are getting like $18, $20 million a year who are playing at the same level, and he's getting less than that. Right? Yes. I've already decided that if the 49ers make a deep playoff run, that we're going to get the like an under-the-radar free agent signing this year that didn't get talked about a lot is Traverius Warden. Here's how good he's been, and da-da-da-da-da. I've decided that's happening. Yeah, I mean, it might happen like... They're going to be a lot of stories about the Niners. Yeah, Traverius Ward's average salary is $13.5 million. His total guarantee was $26 million. Man. Bargain. I mean, if he's going to play like this, then yeah, that's a bargain because you can look at corners. What JC Jackson get? 20? A year? Yeah, I think. I don't have cornerback contracts loaded up in my Rolodex. Sorry. Jair Alexander gets 21. You need to know a lot about the 2002 Oakland Athletics, though. Let me know. <laughs> Average per year. So there are there are like 12 guys who make more on average per season at corner than Charverius Ward. Wow. Jair Alexander leads the way at 21 million. Denzel Ward is 20.1. Jalen Ramsey gets 20 million. Like these How guys Jalen are Ramsey, not the highest paid corner. I think he signed his contract a little bit ago. What an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, JC Jackson gets 16.5. Um, point here is like Charvarius Ward is probably playing like a top five corner in the league and he's getting paid like 11th or 12th on average. Yeah. Really, really nice signing. And he's 26. Yeah. Really liked it at the time. Like it even more now. He's yeah. been really superb. But let's talk about Emmanuel Mosley and the the injuries the 49ers suffered today. So it was Emmanuel Mosley, likely torn ACL, suffered on the second to last real Panthers offensive play of the game. Nick Bosa left the game with a groin injury. Shanahan said it just tightened up on him. They didn't want to risk it, so they pulled him out. They're going to have more evaluation on that on uh, Monday. They have... Um, Robbie Gold left the game with a left knee injury. It sounds like a knee bruise after he got railroaded on a kickoff return, which ultimate respect to Robbie Gold. 
Because if Robbie Gold had just sidestepped the returner and pretend like he got juked out, nobody would have blamed him. But instead, he throws his body at the guy to knock him down. Shout out to 40-year-old Robbie Gold for doing that. Baller. <laughs> Got that dog in him. Uh, he, the special teams the, it was the special teams were disaster today. Really, really bad. Um, so he bruised his knee and went out. And then I'm missing one more. Jimmy, Jimmy Ward broke his hand after one play. First play of the game. Brutal. So four, four injuries to significant players, at least two significant injuries, waiting word on Bosa and Gold. The Mosley injury is brutal, man. Not just for the 49ers, because he's their number two corner. They're supposed to have Jason Verrett coming back, um, although I'm imagining they use his entire practice window. Uh, every video I saw of him in practice last week, he was going like 50% if that like really slowly working back in. So it's probably Ambry Thomas up next. Yeah. This is, that's a guy who tours Achilles and his ACL twice. Yeah. He's, he's going to take it slow coming back. And even when he comes back, I don't know if they'll throw him in right away. Um, but it's probably Ambry Thomas on the other side of, of Trevarius Ward, but forget about that for a minute. Mosley in a contract year playing the best football of his career, playing Excellent. Has a pick six in this game. Tears his ACL on a really nice pass breakup on a deep shot on a third and 10 with like three minutes left. That is. You always feel bad when a guy gets hurt because that sucks on every conceivable level. But feel particularly for for Emmanuel Mosley. That's a really, really tough injury. Yeah. Yeah, particularly because it's a contract year because like you could have seen if Emmanuel Mosley had played through the first four plus games like the rest of the season and stayed healthy, like he's getting a contract similar to what Charvarius Ward just signed with the Niners. Yes. Right. Like he's getting $10 million a year. It's a premium position and he's a good coverage guy. He's physical. He's fast enough. He could play inside if you need him to. Like, he's a guy that would have gotten paid. Yes. And now that's a huge question mark because he's going to hit free agency coming off an ACL tear. And it might be that he just comes back to the Niners for four million bucks or something. A one year deal. Yeah. Yeah. But so that sucks for him because it costs him a lot of money and derails his career. But like for now, anyway. But like for the Niners. This is why you draft Diamador Lenore. This is why you draft Ambry Thomas and Sam Womack. Um, like they have bodies. And I do think one thing that's a little bit different and notable about their cornerback group this year is it's more versatile. Because mm-hmm. like Kwan Williams was a slot corner. Like they would they never played Kwan Williams outside. I never saw him play outside. Mm-hmm. Lenore can play outside and inside. I think Womack can play outside and inside. Lenore has played outside. I don't know that he can play outside. He well, <laughs> they've put him out there. Like no, I know, he's I'm practiced being, and being played silly. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But I'm not. I don't know if he's good there. But right. he's been pretty good uh, in the slot for the yes. most part this year. So because they have that versatility, they have more options when it comes to replacing Emmanuel Mosley. And I don't know 
you know, the Ambry Thomas situation is really curious because I remember, you know, watching him play at the end of last year and feeling pretty good about him. Yeah. Like he had that game ceiling interception um, against the Rams week 18. Mm -hmm. He was getting a lot of playing time and the team was really high on him. And by most accounts, it sounds like he took a substantial step back this year, like Mm. in training camp in the offseason. He very clearly got passed up by Lenore um, in the pecking order. And so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Thomas because it's kind of it's been a roller coaster start for his career in his first two seasons. Um, but yeah, I'm with you on Verrett too. Like they're not rushing him back. Mm-mm. They would be silly to rush him back. And I, th- I do think one of the issues the 49ers have had has been rushing guys back from injury. And that's a different discussion and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to pretend to know. I just know they've brought guys back and they've re-injured themselves pretty frequently mm-hmm. since they hired Ben Peterson as their performance guy. But with Verrett, like they got to be super careful in terms of getting him back in. So yeah, I'm with you. I would expect him to like play, you know, get his full practice window. Then when they elevate him, like, all right, you'll play three series this game, maybe five series this next game before they even think about him being a starter. So like if Ferret did get into the starting lineup, it might be like November, like Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, it, it honestly, it would not surprise me at all if after three weeks, after his three week window, they were like, all right, we're shutting him down. Like that would not shock me. No, he's he's got to be at a certain that, benchmark. Right. That's to say that is to say that's not a knock on Barrett. That's to say. When you're looking at the 49ers cornerback landscape moving forward, I don't think you can just go, oh, pencil Jason Barrett in. He's the guy. No, they did that in <laughs> they did that in 2021. And look what happened. Right. I think uh I think Darquez Denard is still a free agent. Maybe they'll bring him back. They might. Quantrez Knight on the practice squad? Yeah. Shout yeah. out. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's so lame that the Panthers who play outside took the grass out of their stadium and put artificial you, turf in <laughs> i know the answer to this i don't know i'm posing this question because that's the correct radio audio medium thing to do hey chris did you happen to catch the jalen ramsey hot off the press interview last week after his loss to the 49ers what do you say <laughs> thanks for asking <laughs> um no he talks about player safety like he gets so he talks about the Niners Rams game and then and he gets into the whole Tua thing and player safety and 
he talks about how he doesn't think the NFL really takes player safety seriously because, you know, the concussion stuff is good and they, they develop new pads and new helmets, but they still have guys playing on turf. And, and Thursday he, nights. Yeah. It didn't even bring up Thursday night, but yeah. talks about playing on turf. And he was like, if you surveyed NFL players, he's like, I don't know. Any of my teammates would say they prefer playing on turf. And they do this because you don't have to maintain it. You can have concerts there easier. Um, it, it's a, it, it's a money. It's like a, it's like an all a, a, a money thing. So Jed York said it cost a million dollars. Right. Which to, is like to have, to have potentially, uh, I know every, a lot of people are saying it. I don't know if it's true or not, but like George Kittle said it. And Matt Barrows has been saying it over and over again that he thinks the Niners have the best grass in the, in the league. Best. Mm-hmm playing surface i don't know about Chicago, california <laughs> i don't know about crass but um yeah the best playing surface in the league and like so i pulled up a the, the nflpa wrote about this explicitly and jc treader wrote about it president of the of the nflpa and, and it's mm. titled only natural grass can level the nfl's playing field um play it so according to what treader wrote players have a 28 percent, and this is all based on data um, and research that they've done. Players have a 28% higher rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries when playing on artificial turf. Of those non-contact injuries, only players have a 32% higher rate of non-contact knee injuries on turf and a staggering 69%, not nice in this case, higher rate of non-contact foot ankle injuries on turf Jesus. compared to grass. Good so, like, Lord, man. It's pretty unequivocal and... For Jed York to pay a million dollars to give his players a 26% chance or t- less of a chance of getting hurt, I guess, is a way to phrase it. Right. That's like a bargain. Like a million dollars for NFL owners is a drop in the bucket, literally. Not paying that is penny pinching. It's insane. And David Tepper is the richest owner in the, in the league, as our buddy Nick Nick Wagner pointed out. So like... Why? I don't. I would love I don't know. to know why they switched to turf. Like it, the NFL should mandate that if you have an outdoor stadium, like it needs to be grass. Yes, it's not. That, that feels not that difficult. feels logical. And what's crazy, like if you've seen, this is probably getting too into the weeds here. Another grass joke. Um, if you look at like, I think uh, Real Madrid recently um, renovated their stadium. And they built this like elevator system that like raises pallets of grass from underneath the playing field. Yeah. Instead of like what you have in Vegas and Arizona with those domes where you where you wheel the grass in after growing right. it outside, they grow the grass hydroponically and like use lights. And then they grow. What are we talking un- about? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about uh, athletic playing surfaces. Kyle. Oh, okay. Try God, to yeah, keep yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They grow it with lights and unique sprinkler systems and all that underground. Got to our guy, Charlie. Bring it up. So, like, even so, I don't know. I mean, obviously, they're going to be dome stadiums where the the foundation of the stadiums is not going to allow them to do these things or whatever. But like, there's technology to where you can have a really good grass playing surface in a dome, and yet NFL teams still allow teams or NFL the league still allows teams with outdoor stadiums to have artificial surface, despite there being a substantial amount of data, both like both anecdotal and just mountains of data 
mm-hmm. saying like you need grass and it's like it's a shame like the carolinas have are known for like golf courses right like you can grow grass there it doesn't make right. any sense to me so you're saying that the panthers need like a like a bunker and a water hazard at the 50 <laughs> i don't know about and that you're gonna have to throw it but you want to you want to try and get a little draw on your throw around the bunker <laughs> sure into that back corner yeah just put it put a tree at the two yard line <laughs> have to throw it around yeah i get that yeah no but it's i mean it's you know it's just dumb it's really dumb but i think uh turf sucks man and i don't want to yeah. like just blame it on turf and be like oh what was niners that got hit by turf injuries again but it's like it's a pattern with this team it's really weird well it's 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 nfl players in general yeah but like with the niners how many many guys did the panthers have get hurt today the dolphins had a bunch of guys get hurt on the turf at metlife today yeah i mean it's not this is not solely a 49ers related issue we're just closest to the 49ers so that's the angle no no no. totally it's it's just crazy that like and, and nick wrote about it like these trips where they play on artificial surfaces and then end up staying at the Greenbrier, it's like it's happened three years in a row now. Mm-hmm. Like it was Nick Bosa and Raheem Mostert and Jimmy Garoppolo and Solomon Thomas in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then last year after the Lions game, it was Raheem Mostert and Jason Verrett mm-hmm. and Dre Greenlaw. And now this year it's Emmanuel Mosley. And, you know, like the injuries are uh, even aside from that. Eric Armstead, Trent Williams, uh, Jimmy Ward, Captain Javon Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw, first round pick. Your kicker, Robbie Gold. It's like these injuries are getting Future a Hall of Famer. <laughs> we'll see. the The injuries are getting kind of ridiculous, and they've been ridiculous for this team. They had seven players ruled out before the game even started. Like that's that's <laughs> really bad. And they have how many players on IR already designated to return? They've already lost Trey Lance for the year. Right. At some minor, point, minor, minor one we forgot to mention. At some point. Like, and this has nothing. This we're we're beyond the artificial surface now. At some point, man, like is the problem in 2018. So they made some changes to their staff, their training staff. And now it's a problem in 2019. It was a problem in 2020. They dealt with it in 21, and now they're dealing with it again in 22. Yeah. Is it bad luck? Is it the way they approach training? Is it the way they approach practice? I have no... That's the thing, is I have no answers. And I've asked some people who are doctors, and I've read some some stuff from, from people who are much smarter than me when it comes to health. And everybody has a different answer. Everybody has a different idea of... Well, no, nobody has answers, but everybody has a different idea of what they think it is. And it's just... I don't know, man. It's tough. Um. Okay, hold on. Aziz Alshire, he's an IR. Starting linebacker. Brunskill missed a while. Ty Davis-Price, who yep. would be playing a lot, out. Colton McKivitz, IR. Yeah. Um. Kittle missed two games. Trey Lance done for the year. Jimmy Ward missed four games and now possibly more with a broken hand. Elijah Mitchell. Remember him? Ever heard of him. (laughs) Trent Williams. Tarvarius Moore, Trent Williams, 
um, Jimmy Ward, Jordan Willis. Remember Jordan Willis went on IR? Oh, yeah, with a knee flare-up. The 49ers lead the league in flare-ups and irritation. So that's what I was going to say. Like we, it's really hard for anybody to speculate on like what the injury issues really are. But I do think there is a very real thing that for whatever reason, they have just way too many setbacks for guys and like in controlled environments, like in practice in particular, like they've brought guys back during practice or they've pushed them during practice and they brought him back. And again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm certainly not a doctor. Um, I don't even stay at Holiday Inns at all. <laughs> but, but I do think there's there's something to the idea that they bring guys back too soon. And it's it's a recurring thing. And I think like the obvious case is Javon Kinlaw. It's like they drafted him with red flags. He practiced a lot. Knee flared up. Uh, he'll play through it, plays through it, ends up needing reconstructive surgery on his ACL. They have a, a quote-unquote great plan for him. In training camp this year, he practices. His knee flares up again mm-hmm. early in the season. Right? It's just, And you can go back. You know, If you wanted to do all your research, I remember, I remember doing a lot of this research and talking it over with, with other beat writers and being like, Wait, this guy had a setback. This guy had a setback. This guy had a setback. Like, there is a pattern of a bunch of guys rehabbing from injuries, having setbacks or getting hurt, like, as soon as they do come back. Remember Jarek McKinnon? Yeah. Tore his ACL. And then the next training camp, like, retore it. Yeah. Like, that's insane, dude. That shouldn't happen. Well, he like, I think the first time he tore it, he had a knee issue and then like practiced on it and then tore it. I don't know, man. But that was a different performance staff. So I wouldn't be. I was 18. That's right. Yeah, I'm not going to be. But then he got hurt in 19. No, I know. No, I know. I'm not. I'm just not going to be surprised if there are changes made in the upcoming offseason. I like it like, just to do something. Yeah. Because whatever they're doing right now isn't working. And that's not to say like every injury that's happening is like the training no. staff's fault or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. Like it's football, obviously, but there's a pattern of dudes in controlled environments, having setbacks from their injuries. And that just should not be the case. Yeah. And the decision-making on when to bring guys back doesn't seem like it's been awesome. It feels like a midweek topic. Sure. <laughs> What give? I mean, given <laughs> no that well, that's what. So, so I told you, I told you before the pod, I was like, kind of a weird win, weird game, because the Niners went into Carolina, they made a couple mistakes, it wasn't perfect, but they 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 kicked the crap out of a team they should have kicked the crap out of, and they're first in the NFC West. The rest of the NFC West lost, and the 49ers, When you're looking at teams across the NFC, the 49ers are the only team right now with an upward trajectory that you feel really good about. But in the NFC West. No, in the NFC. Look across the NFC. Who do you feel great about right now? I mean, the NFC. The Bucks, the Bucks beat the Falcons 21 to 15. The NFC and... East is kind of good. No, the NFC East is really good. Um, the the Eagles are really good. Um, and the Cowboys I mean, are playing really well. I, I'm with you in that, uh, like, 
I'm with you in that the NFC feels wide open from like a big picture perspective. Um, particularly because like we have no idea if we'll be able to trust Philly in the playoffs or right. You know, Dallas is our playing with a backup quarterback right now. Right. But and but the Giants the, the, have Daniel the, Jones, like the larger you know. the larger point, the larger point is like typically after a win like this, if you're the 49ers, you feel great. But I think the reason the injury topic is so prevalent is because I said before, I told you before the pod, kind of a weird win because they they won, they dominated. You feel great about where they're at in the NFC, but like, man, Mosley out for the year. Don't know how long Jimmy Ward's going to be out again. Um, Bosa's hurt. What does that look like? Are they going to have to go into Atlanta without Nick Bosa? How many, how many, if, if he's out, how many weeks is he out? Like, it's just a constant, like, barrage of just bad injury news. They haven't had a week yet where they leave the week and it's like, hey, feel good going into next week. Yeah, like they've lost starters in every single game. Every game. And they already had there. I don't I don't know how many players who were out this week are on track to return next week. Maybe none. But they could conceivably have like 10 guys out next game. 10 contributors. That's yeah, like brutal. starter level guys. Yeah, for sure. Man, for sure. Once Jimmy Ward, like he came out after one play and they rolled him out quickly with a hand injury it's like yeah if they rule if they rule you out quickly with a hand injury like that thing's broken broken for sure so yeah also they they, can we talk about that real quick so tayshawn gibson started at free safety and jimmy ward was playing like nickel or like sam linebacker yeah i'm way out on that weird i'm super way way out on playing jimmy ward at linebacker I'm, i'm i'm let me I think there's a, a small bit of nuance to this. I'm not out on Jimmy Ward moving around as a wrinkle. I'm out on like, oh, Jimmy Ward's back, but the defense has been playing well with Tayshawn Gibson, so he's going to continue starting at free safety, and we'll figure out what to do with Jimmy Ward. Yeah. Um, like, that's the wrong way to go about it. I'm super out on that. Jimmy not Ward's that know, a captain. Not that I know more about football than D'Amico Ryans, but that seems like a bad thing to do. Having me, nothing to do, not even having anything to do with his injury, like right. his injury could have happened on any play. That it, that's just purely a dude. Jimmy Ward's a free safety. Put him in free safety. For yeah, for me, if Jimmy Ward's playing, then he's your starting safety, right? And if you don't feel comfortable working him in in that role, then dial it back. Then don't have him. Don't play him. Don't yeah. Don't play him. Have him get in shape, and then bring him out when he's ready. But and again. I don't want it. I don't want it to sound like we're blaming him playing linebacker, like we're blaming the injury on that. No, this is totally separate from the injury. Yeah, I, I think given Jimmy Ward's injury history and the fact that he's maybe two hundred pounds, like two oh five at the max. Like Jimmy Ward is not a big football player. Right. He's a very good tackler and he's physical, particularly for his size. But no way in hell. Am I playing Jimmy Ward in the box on purpose with regularity? And like, yeah, Tayshawn Gibson's been really good, but him being good should allow you to take your time with Jimmy Ward coming back, not start him over Jimmy Ward. Yeah. Yeah, no, in no world, and this is not to disparage Gip, but in no world should he be starting over a healthy Jimmy Ward. 
And if Jimmy Ward is not healthy and game ready, then he should not be playing. Right. Or I shouldn't say healthy. If Jimmy Ward is healthy but not game ready, then he should not be playing. Like that's the we said before we knew he was hurt, we were talking about it during the game. Like that's a weird way to use Jimmy Ward. What are they doing here? Yeah. And then and then the injury. The like I said, the injury is separate from just that whole thing. He could have played the whole game there, and it would have been weird. Super weird. Anyways, I'm I'm yeah. Whatever the line of thinking was that went into that, and D'Amico Ryan's awesome at his job. Knows a million times more about football than I do. Going to be a head coach, probably the best defensive coordinator, or at least the most famous defensive coordinator in the league right now. Number one defense in the league, like full stop. Is he more famous than Wink Martindale? On this, I disagree with D'Amico. What I said is he more famous than Wink Martindale? Yeah, because like remember how famous (laughs) Robert Sala got. Like, oh, celebrating on the sideline. Like, everybody loves Robert Sala. He's going to be a new, he's going to be the next head coach. Like, that was a thing in like 2019. Right. And then then on the pick six today, D'Amico is going crazy on the sideline celebrating. Right. And then it felt very similar to like that Rams game early in 2019 when Robert Sala was going crazy after getting all those fourth down stops. Yeah. That was like what very similar to the D'Amico discourse today. Totally. Yeah. He's going to be a head coach. He's gone. The Niners play a bunch of high-profile games. All those bro- the, the broadcasts are already doing it. Yeah. So, good win. They needed it. They have a very good chance to go into the Chiefs game at four and two and playing their best football. Which is, I think, if you said going into the year, hey, they can be four and two and playing their best football going into Week Seven, like you'll take that every single time. The Falcons game, and we'll talk about this, but it'll it be might- very tough. It might be tricky because they're probably going to be without three starting defensive linemen. Unless Nick Bosa is just fine, but I would imagine they're going to exercise a ton of caution with him. Artificial surface, by the way. Yes. Artificial surface. In Atlanta. I think they're artificial, right? Yeah. So that looks like a really cool stadium. It does. The looks little so cool. halo retractable roof. Do I want to go? Yeah, I'd yeah, love to. Let's go. Just, yeah. Let's just, just, yeah. All right. I have nothing else on this game for now. Expand I need to grind the all budget. 22. Yeah. Good win. Offense got on track. Defense is really good. Navigating the injuries is going to be tough. That about summarizes it. We didn't do our pick six. Oh, I don't have them in front of me. Tell my notebook at work. Do you have them? Uh, I took Bosa. Not great. You took Kittle. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. Uh, by the way, Robbie Gold, more tackles than Nick Bosa today. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should play Sam linebacker. <laughs> Um, I want both. You want Kittle? Okay, feel I'm, good about that. I want Jalen Moore. Mm. Keep in mind, it was like if Jalen Moore plays well, the Niners are probably going to win. Niners didn't allow. There was there was one bad sack. One, and, and you could Brian tell the, the the plays leading up to it that like, oh, Burns is probably going to get one. Yeah, <laughs> not great, but not. It didn't derail the game. Not a not a disaster. He wasn't. You took Fred Warner. Feel really good about that. That's probably the best pick of the lot. I took Robbie Gold. Oh no! Just full on flannel. Oh no! Like Robbie Gold. Yeah, flannel on, faded denim, beard oil. Yeah. Like just double IPA, double hazy IPA. Like just full on hipster. And you took Jennings. It's a it's a resounding win for you. That's it. That I will I will take that for sure. Um the catch and run by Jennings 
was a his his fort at which is the correct pronunciation of that word by the way not forte his fort at tennessee was shout out bill king for that is that true yes it's fort yes i don't believe you anyway go ahead dude talk to bill king dog um r.i.p i I mean i can't (laughs) r.i.p um i can say that i have a holy toledo tattoo um no, so that was his thing at, at, at Tennessee was like yards after the catch and running after the catch and just turning every catch into a boxing match. And he hasn't gotten to do that a lot in the pros, either because Kyle Shanahan's scheming him wide open or it's, you know, third and eight and he's making a catch at the sticks and immediately getting hit and going down. But that was interesting today, seeing him go over the middle and stiff arm a guy and break a tackle and then get to the sideline. Deep Wonderful start give- seeing that more. Debo was giving him shit post game about not scoring. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was. Branch if anybody asked him, can, if anybody can do it, it's Debo. Like he's. I think Branch asked him if if Juwan Jennings could be a wide back, and Debo was like, "Yeah, I mean, should have scored on that play, but right. yeah, he ran out of gas." Yeah, a really nice bounce back performance for for you in the Cooperage picks uh, needed six it. Needed it the, after the, taking Jordan Mason last year, and you get the added the added bonus of the Jordan Mason take kind of being right, but it was a week later and it was seven. The Coleman. spirit of the take was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you were on the right track. There were just yeah. a couple minor details that, sure. that were incorrect. But sure. good, good on you for winning this week. Thanks. Yeah, I was correct. The take about the Niners' run game was correct. The personnel and the timing is wrong. Yes. Do we do we want to relitigate that anymore in this part? <laughs> okay. No, because I still got unlistened to voice memos I gotta get to. Okay, perfect. Um all right, that's it. Subscribe, rate, and review. Shout out to Cooperage, Cooperagebrewing.com. Order your beer 21 and up. They'll ship in anywhere within the state of California. Or just go to the brewery in Santa Rosa. It's awesome and the beer is delicious. Do both. Go do- try the beer and then be like, I'm gonna order some sent to my house. And buy some merch and tell them that uh, Chris and Kyle sent you. Or Kyle and Chris, whichever you prefer. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm here on behalf of Candlestick Chronicles. Yeah. And I demand beer. And I'll give it to you at a fair price. <laughs> not, not like for free. Don't expect right. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you later in the week. Bye. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.